Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their their background and their journey throughout the world of martial arts and, and everything else they're involved in. Uh, my guest today is not only a martial artist, but an actor, an author, a comedian, an entrepreneur, and much more. He's written numerous books, including his brand new release, Way of the Cobra. He's appeared on TV shows like General Hospital, Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful, and many movies, including a new one that just came out October 8th with Bruce Willis called Survive the Game. He has a degree in political science, collects baseball cards, hey, me too. And many of my listeners will remember his iconic role as karate's bad boy, Mike Barr, and Karate Kid 3. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Sean Kanan. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good. It's a day off of my regular job and and, and doing my, my side hustle job, working and, on the podcast. And, <laughs> and you're spending a talking to me. we got to get you some new hobbies, pal. <laughs> well, like you said, hey, I also collect baseball cards. I haven't done it in a while, but I got about thirty to 40,000 cards from the wow. early 60s to late 80s, early 90s. Wow, but, that's uh, amazing. Yeah. Now, that's a side hustle. Yeah. I my, mean, uh, you know, it's amazing over the past couple decades uh, just how valuable they've all become. Yeah. I, I need to sell them, actually. <laughs> I really should. I don't do it anymore. And my my first yeah. my first side hustle when I was sixteen, me and a friend opened a baseball card shop in high school. So wow. <laughs> that's kind of how I got into the hobby and everything. But it's ambitious. Cool. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But like we do with right. all my guests, what we like to do is go back to the beginning. I want to know yep. where was that first spark? What led you to martial arts? Was it you know what age? Was it your parents? Was it your decision? And kind of what what was it that drew you in and made you stick with it? You know, when I was a kid growing up in Western Pennsylvania, I wanted to get into boxing. And so I found a gym in, I think it was like the South side of Youngstown, Ohio. And uh, I went there a couple times. And I think very quickly, my parents discerned that the guys that were boxing at this gym were boxing to get out of uh, a really bad socioeconomic situation. Um, you know, this was probably not the place for me to be doing that. Uh, their, their nice son from the suburbs of uh, Pennsylvania. So they said, okay, listen, um, why, don't, why don't you try karate? And I really didn't know a whole lot about it other than, you know, having seen Bruce Lee movies and things like that. And um, a couple of the guys that worked for my dad had been studying at this dojo in my hometown. And I remember one of them brought some pictures in and showed, showed me, uh, you know, all these incredible kicks they were doing. And I was like, this looks pretty cool. And so when I was, um, God, I guess I was about 14, I first stepped foot into uh, a dojo and I was just enamored from right away. Um, it was a Shotokan uh, dojo. Nice. So, it was very traditional uh, Japanese. It was definitely not a Mick dojo. Uh, this was, um, you know, uh, a lot of, um, you know, discipline, tradition, 
uh, all the stuff that I needed as a kind of unruly 14 year old kid. And it came along at just a, a fortuitous point in my life. Um, I really needed to to get that kind of structure. I, you know, I had experienced a lot of bullying uh, when I was younger. I, okay. I really lacked discipline. I lacked a lot of the stuff that, you know, I think most kids at, at, at that age really need. And so I just, I just loved it. And um, after a couple of years... Our dojo merged with the Japan Karate Federation, which was uh, Sensei Fumio Demura's organization. Coincidentally, Fumio Demura was Pat Morita's stunt double in the Karate Kid films. Right. And, and years later, that played a really important and pivotal role in my ultimately getting the part of Mike Barnes. Okay. So it's, it's weird. It's like looking back on it, um, you know, it, it seems like my joining that specific dojo really changed the trajectory of, of my life, both personally and professionally. Wow. Now, what was it about that? Can you think of that, your first instructor? What kind of stood about that? I mean, obviously, overall, you love the whole thing. What was it? One or two things about your instructor that stood out that really, even to this day, you still kind of remember? Well, my, my instructor was Sensei William Stoner. Okay. Uh, he, uh, he passed away a few years ago. I was actually just back in my hometown in Newcastle, Pennsylvania for a, uh, uh, a martial arts tournament and banquet honoring him. And uh, he was a hard ass. Uh, he was a take no BS guy. He was a very serious and committed martial artist. And um, like I said, you know, the, the regimentation and the discipline in the dojo was very strict and it was exactly what I needed. And uh, he also, you know, for, for as intimidating and, and often harsh as he could be, um, I told him about my dreams to become an actor. And he was one of the few people that didn't laugh at me. Oh. And that took, he took the conversation really seriously and said, well, you know, you you're kind of supposed to go into your father's family business. We had a, a family business of jewelry stores. We had at one time 52 of them. So it was a wow. pretty significant business. And I was the only son and I had worked in the stores growing up, but it just, you know, wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And so I had this conversation with Sensei Stoner and he said, listen, you know, if this is what you want to do, man, you need to go for it. And uh, it really gave me some of the, uh, the confidence I needed early on. I mean, let's face it, you know, you say to anybody, hey, I'm going to go move out to Hollywood and, and become an actor. That's like saying, I'm going to go, you know, join the circus as the strong man. I mean, it's just absurd. <laughs> True. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the odds are uh, incredibly stacked against you. Right. Um, you know, I, I wasn't in New York. I wasn't in Los Angeles. I was in Western Pennsylvania, um, you know, not, not known as being a hub for the entertainment industry. And, um, you know, uh, my parents were, <laughs> they were like, what are you talking about? I mean, they, they ultimately have been two of my biggest champions, but you know, they, you know, they were set on their son going to college and, and, you know, becoming some kind of a professional. And, um, you know, I, I needed that, that encouragement early on, I think to be able to start to, put myself in the mindset that I was going to do something that was very much the road not taken. And, uh, I will always be thankful to Sensei Stoner and, and martial arts 
for, uh, for, for helping giving me some of the, um, I guess tenacity is the right word. You know, you know, there were two, there were two teachers that I've had in my life that have toughened me up and have given me a lot of the wherewithal that I needed to pursue a career in acting. One was my, uh, sensei stoner and the mm-hmm. other was, um, uh, one of my very early acting teachers, the late Roy London. Very cool. Now, you mentioned Shotokan. I studied that when I was in high school. And the one thing that always stood different for me with Shotokan, that was the first martial art I ever got to even knew what it was and got to use a Makiwara board. Did they have that in your uh, school? Yes, the Makiwara that... boards. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my knuckles still bear the scars. <laughs> yes. I remember the first time I saw one, I'm like, we just punch it? Really? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming the most of the people who listen to this are martial artists, but for those people who don't, it's a, it's a piece of wood wrapped with rope that you punch repeatedly to condition your knuckles. And as I learned it, you know, one of the reasons that the, the Okinawans trained with that, the farmers was to be able to punch through the samurai's armor. Right. I've I've read that too. Yep. So now you mentioned, um, um, Sensei Demura. Now, did you also start when, when the school merged, did you start training in Shiturayo? Well, we converted to that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so we, we did convert to that and I have taken, uh, uh, a few classes with Sensei Demura, but he was in California in Santa Ana. So we would see him, he would come a couple times a year to our dojo. My relationship with Sensei Demura really began to grow. Um, once I became a part of the karate kid family, um, you know, I would see him more frequently and, uh, um, I I was just with Sensei Demura at this event for, uh, for my late sensei, he was there. Uh, so I just saw him a couple months ago, but he's had a really profound, uh, effect on me. He was gracious enough to agree to appear in my second book, which is called uh, success factor X where, um, my, my co-author and I went out to 50 exceptional people and said, you know, what is your advice about success? And Sensei Demero was one of them because he is certainly somebody who uh, I think embodies tremendous success and, um, you know, very, very honored to know, uh, somebody of his amazing caliber. Yeah. He, uh, he actually agreed to to do the show. So I'm, I'm beyond excited to looking forward to that interview. Yeah, he's he's, a ter- he's he's terrific, and I, I can't say enough uh, uh, about him. So, reading about your your, your past in martial arts, and you studied multiple other styles. Uh, first yeah. of all, I like, I like to know a little about those styles, but also as your career grew sure. and started expanding and getting more busy, how did you find time, and did you make time to train? I have. There've been times in my life that I've trained. There's been times that I haven't trained. I have trained fairly extensively in. American kickboxing with an instructor uh, in uh, uh, Venice, California named uh, Christopher Steele. Uh, I've trained, uh, I studied privately training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for uh, about a year. I studied with uh, uh, Grandmaster Daryl Vidal of the Karate Kid. Nice. Yeah, Daryl teaching me uh, Filipino stick and knife fighting. And uh, what else? Uh, I did some Krav Maga. You know, I've got kind of a, a little smattering of a bunch of different uh, styles. And I, I've really been waiting for two things to happen to seriously re-engage in my training. One is I, I've had a pretty significant rotator cuff injury for a while now. Um, and I've been rehabbing it, but it, I'm not ready to go back into training full time. And the other is, you know, with the pandemic and everything, it really put the kibosh on everything for a right. while. Definitely. But I very much very much want to get back into training. Uh, I never got my black belt. And and that's something that it's, 
you know, it's, it's not about, oh, I want to get a black belt. So I have a black belt to wear, but it's, it's, it's a, a sense of um, accomplishment and, and commitment that I want to um, um, re-engage in. You know, when I thought about it, uh, ultimately it boils down to excuses because um, if, if, if I really had wanted to do it, I would have found a way to continue well uh, doing all the other stuff that I've, I've done. And so I, I would like to do that. I, I start, I don't know if you read, did you read the article that I wrote for black belt magazine? Which one? I'm sure I probably so I, did. So you should probably check it out. I, I, I wrote it. Okay. Let me back up. So I have a friend now whose name is Sensei Adam McKinley and Adam posts these amazing TikTok videos on, uh, TikTok and Instagram uh, of him doing these kicks. And so I, I was watching this guy and I sort of sought him out, started communicating with him. We developed sort of a friendship through texting and then uh, it grew from there. And he said, Hey, listen, why don't you come up to Northern California and train with me? I did read that. And article. so I called, <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yes. So I called, yeah, you read it. Okay. Yep. So I called, I called Robert Young up the editor of Black Belt Magazine and I said, uh, Hey, buddy, listen, uh, I, I don't know if I'm having a midlife crisis or what, but I'm going to go sight unseen to this guy that I've never met in, in the mountains and woods of Northern California and go train with him. And uh, he's like, well, I think that'd be a really great article. And I said, I do too. And so um, I went up and stayed with uh, Adam and his lovely family for a week and trained. And he then came to visit me in Pennsylvania for Sensei uh, Stoner's event that I was telling you about. Okay. And I'm just waiting until I got a break in the action to go back up and train with him. He's an unbelievable martial artist, a, a fantastic human being, and has become a dear friend of mine. Um, and really, and really, for me, uh, epitomizes all that is good and decent and, and, and right with martial arts. And I, you know, I think the universe puts people together and I've been very fortunate to find him. And um, uh, I can't wait to go back up and, and train with him again. And I, I think probably if I, if I do get on the trajectory towards uh, getting a black belt, I would like to earn it with, uh, uh, with Sensei McKinley. Very cool. Yeah. So I do, I know you probably get asked a lot of these questions, so I, I'm trying to ask the questions that you're not always asked, but I'm just curious, did you really, did you enjoy playing a bad guy? I mean, obviously that's one of your most iconic oh, roles. I did. That has to be I fun. Did. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Um, you're obviously a super nice guy. So I imagine it's completely <laughs> different you. than what you are in thank real life. You, thank <laughs> you. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm very much not that guy. Uh, like I said, I was bullied a lot when I was younger and to later go on to play this iconic bully is sort of, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but it's certainly <laughs> strange. It's fun. Um, but, but, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always say this, look, I was a guy that bought a ticket to see the karate kid and the karate kid too, in the theaters. And then to suddenly be there, uh, and be the guy at the all Valley tournament with, with Danielson was surreal and amazing and invigorating and, and all of that incredible stuff. Yeah, it was definitely an iconic friend. I mean, that's it's the reason I got started in martial arts, the original Karate Kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there yeah, was, a, there was so an instructor people. handing out free passes outside of the movie theater opening night. I'm like, oh, oh wow. Yeah, it was like smart marketing that's back in cool. 1984. <laughs> I'm like, wow, yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, cool, free 30 days. I'm going to try this. So, yeah, that was the start of my martial arts career. <laughs> And, and for many other people too. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah there's this. You know, look back at probably each decade. There's, you know, that in the eighties, maybe the Ninja Turtles or right. Mortal Kombat right. in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. Mortal Kombat when that opened a local school did a demonstration outside of the theater and they were like jumping off walls and breaking boards and stuff. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're going to get some students. <laughs> 
right. it's it's smart. So so when did the writing start for you? Was the was the black belt article first, or did you start writing? No, and what no, kind of no. led to it? No, I've I've written for as long as I can remember. Um, uh, I went to boarding school and uh, for for two years for my junior and senior year. I went to public school the years before that, and I, I started writing then. And I actually started writing some pieces, which I went back and looked on years later, and they formed the impetus for the first film that I wrote, which was called uh, Chasing Holden. It's about a young boy who runs away from boarding school to go find J.D. Salinger. And uh, he had been released. He's the son of the governor of New York, had been released from a mental institution, and he steals a gun. And so the the whole story is you're, you're not quite sure if he's going to assassinate J.D. Salinger or, you know, if what he's going to do. Um, so anyway, uh, my writing started really early. Uh, I'm one of the head writers on the show that I created, Studio City, which is uh, on Amazon Prime. Um, we, we, we were really fortunate and won the Emmy for uh, Outstanding Limited uh, Fiction this past Emmy season. That's awesome. I, yeah, I write. I mean, you know, I've, yeah. my third my third book now. And uh, I don't know. It's like, you know, the entertainment industry is really difficult. And and one of the things that has kept me sane in this crazy journey is that I I don't do just one thing. Uh, You know, I act, I produce, I write. And, you know, when when any one of them is firing on all pistons, you're really fortunate. And when a couple are happening at the same time, it's a dream. But you know, there have been times in my career when the acting just wasn't really happening, and I would say, "Okay, fine, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on the writing for a little while," and uh, that way, I feel like I'm always making forward progress. Okay. So now, look, looking at the three books you've written, they all kind of you know, not really identical, not identical. I don't want to say that, but I mean, they're kind of under the category of like I would say, like motivational or self help. Uh, all talking about different topics, of course, but they're all kind of like, so is that something you, you you obviously love encouraging people and motivating people and stuff? Cause that's a big part of your writing. I do. You know, one of the things I talk about in way of the Cobra is the necessity to clarify your why, you know, what is your why? It's that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning with passion. I don't need an alarm clock to get out of bed. I get out because I can't wait to start my day. Um, you know, for me, uh, I have two whys. My first, all I have to do is look down at my left hand. I look at my wedding ring and it's my commitment to my wife, to our marriage. You know, I, I never want to see a look of buyer's remorse on my wife's face. And so that's one of my driving whys. My other is to inspire people. I truly love inspiring and helping people. And uh, I, I think, you know, determining what your why is, is so important towards uh, the goal of achieving success. You know, your why is, if, if, if success is the destination, your why is, you know, the fuel that uh, fills the vehicle to get you there. Okay. I'm loving the book. I, I, I was oh, hoping to you. have it done by now, but my yeah. our mail service is horrible and it came about six days later than it was supposed to. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you're enjoying yeah, it. Yeah. So, yeah, but I'm about to, probably 80% through it so far. And I, I, and I, I love those kind of books. I love motivational books. I mean, like, like I told you when we were communicating, I, I, I used to read about a book a week. I'm trying to get back into that. Uh, so down just because I've been doing so many other things, but I, it's, uh, I'm loving it and I've already recommended it to three. I got a kind of not really a book club, but I got some friends that we always recommend books to each other. And that was one of the first ones I recommended last week. So hopefully get, wow, you, some, you. get you some new readers on that one too. <laughs> I really appreciate that. 
And it just quick, you want to shout out the, the website where they can find the book? And I'll, yeah, I'll put it in the uh, show notes too. So I really appreciate that. The website is wayofthecobra.com. And, uh, you know, I, I do I do a lot of podcasts and interviews and things about the book because, of course, I want to sell books as everybody who has a book does. But, you know, honestly, I want to get this book into as many people's hands as possible. I, I know that the information in this book is catalytic. I hear from people literally all over the world, from from Pakistan to Ireland, that you know the book has had a profound effect on their lives, and they're making paradigm changes in in their life and, and achieving success that they never had achieved before, and uh, and that makes me feel really good. And uh, yeah, I just want to get it to as many people as I can. Well, I I can honestly just from hearing you talk about it, the passion. I can tell you, you obviously you love it, and you love doing that. So I'm continued success really on do. that for sure so and we definitely got to mention the the new movie uh with bruce willis i, I watched the trailer right before we uh, started this and it looks really good i'm actually kind of excited <laughs> I, I, I i mean I, I love bruce willis anyway but it just it's yeah. it looks like a great movie just talk a little bit a little bit about that and you know what it was like working with bruce um uh, you know this has been a really incredible year if you would have told me at the beginning of this year of a pandemic that i was going to wind up doing uh, back-to-back films with uh, Bruce Willis, I would have said, "Hey, thanks for the vote of confidence," but I don't think uh, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine who's a director directed the film. His name is James Cullen Bressack, and he said, "Look, well, I'm doing this film with Bruce. I'm actually doing a couple films with Bruce in Puerto Rico." And, uh, I think I got something that would be fun for you to do. And so I, I went to Puerto Rico and, um, you know, we created this role that really wasn't in the script, the way it was written, you know, I'm supposed to play this thuggish bad guy. And I, I sort of decided that this guy was going to be the comedy relief along with another character. And, uh, that sort of merged into me doing this accent and all this other stuff. And it became, uh, really, really fun. So I did that when I came back to Los Angeles and about a month and a half later, uh, was asked back to do another film with Bruce called the fortress. Look, you know, like you, I grew up watching Bruce Willis's films. He's an icon. It was just exciting and fun. And he was, he was very nice. And I was extremely flattered to be, to be working with him. Awesome. And do you know where is that? Is that in theaters now, or is it? Online yeah, it came. It, it, it came out in about fifteen theaters, select okay. theaters across the country, and now it's on all the video on demand platforms. I know it's on Dish. I know it's. Um, gosh, it's on a bunch of them. I, I would actually have to look That's it up, but I'll, I'll just Google it. And yeah, you can I'll, find it. It's, I'll find, it's, it's I'll out find there. some links for you, and we'll put them it's in the out there and too. easy to watch. And, and and I've got a mohawk in it, so uh, it's kinda... I saw. I had to watch the trailer twice because you showed me the picture, and I'm like, "That's not him." I'm like, "Oh my god, that is that him. is me." Yeah. So the director kept teasing me, saying, "You know, when you get here, we're giving you a haircut," and I was like, "Okay." Bye. All right, whatever. I usually get a haircut before I start a production, and that haircut was what you saw. And I got to tell you, I kind of dug the mohawk. You know, <laughs> I I got back to uh, my wife, and she's like, "All right, you've you've worn this thing around Palm Springs for a week now, <laughs> and you look like a maniac. And I want you to go and get like a, a proper haircut." And I was like, "Well, a proper haircut? I, I've got no hair except for <laughs> like a landing strip down the middle of my head. So a proper haircut is me shaving it all off." And she's like, "Go." 
<laughs> I'll pay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I liked it. That's awesome. That's actually hilarious. Now, you mentioned comedic relief. I do have to mention, you know, I had forgot when I was reading your bio that you had done stand-up comedy. I remember the first time I saw a clip of you was probably in the early to mid-90s, and I remember seeing it. Oh, wow. I, I forgot which of the shows it was. I saw it on. You were doing somewhere on one of those TV things back then. Yeah. And I was like, that's Mike Barnes doing stand-up comedy. And it was, <laughs> it was hilarious. Now, do you still have time, make time to do that you, at all? Or You know, I, I right before the pandemic, uh, the day before everything shut down in Los Angeles, I remember it was January 23rd. I was headlining at the Belly Room at the Comedy Store on Sunset. And it, it was great. I had all these gigs booked and then everything shut down and those unfortunately all went away. And that's when I, I poured myself into getting uh, Way the Cobra finished. I am definitely going to go back out on the road and do a bunch of comedy shows. I probably won't do it until mid next year. Although I, I think I might do one in may i might headline at the atlantic city comedy club in may nice. um it's it's just tough for me to you know find the time to get away and go do it on the road but i love doing it you know it's it's just that immediate reciprocity with the audience you know there's there's no cut there's no <laughs> curtain it's like you and a microphone sink or swim and and i love it and it, for me when i was about 15 years old i snuck into my first comedy club and I was just spellbound. I mean, watching these guys using just their words to, you know, mesmerize an audience. And I was like, that's amazing. I, I'd like to do that. And it's turned out to be one of the smartest things I've ever done as an actor, because that combined with writing, you know, a lot of times you get, you get on a project, you read the script and you look at it and say, Hey, I, I can make this better. And that's ultimately the actor's job to elevate the words on the page to be the very best they can be. And so the ability to do some, some writing and infuse some comedy into things that might not necessarily uh, ostensibly on the page call for comedy can put a whole new spin on stuff. And, and when you see survive the game uh, you'll, you'll see that uh, you know, I, I took the character and tried to really make him into someone um, very off type and funny. And, and I wrote almost 90% of my own dialogue on that film. Wow. And, and it was great. And that's a, te that's a testament to the director, James Cullen Bressack, who gave me the latitude and freedom to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. And any, anyone who can get up on stage with, with a mic and do that. And that's, I used to have major stage fright. I can get up and talk and talk in front of people, but I could never do stand-up comedy. So much respect for know, that. You know, what's funny is, you know, a, a lot of people want to do stand-up and they, they, they say, well, you know, my friends tell me I'm funny and it's, it, it ain't the same thing. You <laughs> no. know what I mean? It's nope. like, there's a whole, I mean, you know, I have incredible respect for, for guys that are comedians and that's all they do. And they're doing it, you know, 300 nights a week. And, yeah, it's uh, it's daunting, but it's addictive. Nice. So now, obviously, with with Cobra Kai and this massive surge of popularity that's come back out with the whole Karate Kid franchise lately, two questions I want to ask you that hopefully you haven't been asked before. I, I looked through interviews and I haven't seen these yet, but uh, the one thing, the two two part question. First of all, they talked about doing like more sequels and more spinoffs over the years, and they all got shot down. So when you first heard Cobra Kai was coming out, what was your initial thought, and then what was your thought after actually watching it? I was really excited. Uh, you know, the guys that created this, Hayden Schlossberg, uh, Josh Hill, John Hurwitz, have uh, an amazing background in comedy. And the first time I kind of, well, I guess the first time I, I knew who they were was when I 
watched Harold and Kumar. And then I, I went to go see Hot Tub Time Machine with a bunch of friends. And I don't know if you remember, but there's a line where one of the characters kind of bumps into this guy with a sort of blonde flat top. And he's like, hey, that guy looks like the douchebag from Karate Kid 3. Yep. And so all my friends immediately look at me and I was like, all right, that was funny. And, and was you know, good. when I found out these were the guys doing Cobra Kai, I was like, well, this is going to be interesting because they are they're, they're comedy guys. And, you know, they completely turned the whole concept that LaRusso was bullied and Daniel or, and Johnny was the bully on its head. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that has made the show so unbelievably successful. I mean, a, a, another you know huge facet as to why it's successful is that, you know, Ralph Macchio and uh, uh, Billy Zabka are incredibly good actors, gifted actors. Uh, they both have a really good facility for comedy. I mean, you know, both of them and they kind of play opposite sides of the same coin. And uh, another brilliant thing that the creators have done, which is super hard is they've straddled the fence between creating a show that plays to guys like you and me, that for us, it's nostalgic Mm -hmm. because we, we, you know, grew up with it. And for a new generation of young kids who certainly never saw the films in the theater, and you, you know they've they've created this this whole new sensibility about the Karate Kid universe for another generation, and they they play it very effectively because you know catering to two different uh, age demographics is not easy. I mean, True. you know the reference, you know the the the, the benchmark references are different. Um, uh, you know, pop culture has changed all of that. And, and they do that so well. And, and, you know, one of the things I really like about it, because I can relate to it, is the anachronistic quality of Johnny Lawrence. I mean, he's very much a guy who sort of peaked in, in you know, peaked in the 80s. You know, and thinks that the 80s was the greatest decade from everything from the music he likes to the car he drives. I can really relate to that. My, my wife yep. said something really obvious yet telling to me she said do you realize that the 80s is to you what the 50s was to your parents and i was like oh my god you're right because you know my dad used to always say ah oh, the best music it's from the 50s yep. and bobby darren and blah, blah 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 and you know it just sounds like uh, hey kids get off my grass <laughs> and um uh, I, i'm i'm now that guy <laughs> me too Although yeah, I, I do appreciate the music of the fifties and sixties too. That's, you know, I, I grew up listening to that. So <laughs> nice. So now I do remember the, one of the early UFCs, I think I remember like three or four or maybe even two that you were, you were there watching and being interviewed. So I'm just kind of curious your, your thoughts on, on MMA and kind of how it's um, impacted the martial arts over the last 20, 30 years. I, I was at UFC one, one in Denver. Okay. I was at UFC one. Uh, it was incredibly violent. There were uh, none of the rules that are in place now. Uh, the 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 fighters were amazing fighters, but they weren't, with the exception of maybe Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie, they weren't the athletes that the guys are now, and they weren't they weren't multi discipline trained. Most of them, uh, so you'd have a guy that's a you know, uh, a karate guy versus a sambo wrestler. I mean, you know, now to have success in the UFC, you have to, uh, of course, be an expert in wrestling, jujitsu, stand up. You know, so the guys that that are now in the game and have been for the last, I don't know, more than a decade are just uh, a different breed. I love MMA. Nice. Uh, I, I do. I think it's amazing. 
you know, if I had one, I don't even want to say criticism, but but one thing that I, I'd like to, a, a lot of the guys in MMA do have traditional martial arts backgrounds. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the the tradition of martial arts is really important. And I, I think that it would be, you know, nice to see some of that imparted by these guys that have become international stars. But uh, I'm I'm in awe of all of them. I think any guy that's got the balls to walk into a cage, close the door with another guy who wants to take your head off, has my respect. Win, lose, or draw. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's another thing too. Like I used to judge MMA fights. I've judged over a thousand MMA oh, fights, wow. but I would never step in that cage. <laughs> yeah. So nothing but respect for anyone who does. So absolutely nice. So if you had to pick, I know we kind of talked about a couple, but if you had to pick one martial artist uh, to put on the top of your list for someone you just truly admire, who would it be on the top of that list? Ooh. And it doesn't Boy, have to be someone you've actually trained with. It can be, you know, like a lot of people pick Bruce Lee. It can be someone well, you know. I, I'd, have to, I, I'd, I'd have to pick a couple. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. Bruce Lee for, for many reasons, Bruce Lee. But the, one of the things I like the most about him is that, you know, he overcame tremendous adversity in his life, not the least of which was the, you know, devastating back injury he had, which laid him up for months. And that's when he, I believe, wrote his first book. Uh, but he's a he's a phenomenal philosopher. I don't know if you've ever read a book he wrote called uh, Striking Thoughts. Yep. But Bruce Lee uh, is so much more than just a martial artist. And also, you know, he was poised to be a mainstream movie star at a time when nobody wanted to see uh, uh, an Asian man as the lead in a film. And you know, had he lived, I think. You know, this renaissance that has happened with Asian actors that I think was precipitated by uh, Crazy Rich Asians and some of the other films, um, I think that would have happened decades ago. Chuck Norris, whom I I worked with on Walker, Texas Ranger, I'll never forget my dad, when I was a little boy, gave me a signed photo of Chuck that said, Dear Sean, keep on kicking. And decades later, I was in a fight scene with Chuck uh, on Walker, Texas Ranger down in Texas, and it just was mind blowing. That's cool. Um, phenomenal martial artist, phenomenal human being. Oh boy, you know, there's so many. Um, Fumio Demura. Yeah. I mean, he is a modern day samurai. My teacher, Sensei William Stoner, my, my other Sensei, Adam McKinley. Uh, these are these are guys that I just have enormous respect for and am in awe of what they're able to do. It is hard to pick one. I don't think any of my guests have ever yeah, picked just one. Really so. I, I, su- I suppose ultimately I would have to go with Bruce Lee. Nice. Okay. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? Do I have a favorite martial arts book? Well, I really like Striking Thoughts. It's not a martial arts book per se, but it's mm-hmm. written by Bruce Lee. I remember as a kid reading a book written by Masayama. Uh, that was kind of one of the first martial arts books that I had read. Uh, Zen and the Art of Archery, which, which you know, I think is is metaphoric not only for life, obviously, but certainly martial arts. Yeah, those are those are a couple of them. Okay, do you have a favorite? I would I would say you can't pick Cobra Kai, a favorite martial arts <laughs> TV show. <laughs> Ah, uh, Kung Fu. Uh, the original, yeah. I'm assuming? The, <laughs> yeah. the original Kung Fu, of course, yeah. Now, did yeah. you ever watch the sequel in the early 90s, The Legend you know, Continues? I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> David yeah. Carradine and I had the same agent. And uh, before the show was ultimately filmed in Canada, uh, and it was going to be filmed in the United States, uh, I was a very strong contender for possibly playing his son, which was ultimately played by an actor named Chris Potter. Yeah. And they, my agent brought me out to David's ranch in Latuna Canyon. 
And uh, we, we spent the day together. And that was uh, an experience that I will never forget. Uh, David answered the door in a kimono, barely covering his nether regions, and uh, <laughs> had a highball of vodka with him. And uh, there was a horse that was poking its head through the window in the kitchen. Some random guy was walking around with a six gun attached to his leg. And uh, David uh, and I uh, hung out and uh, he said, Hey, let's go. uh, Do you ride horses? And I said, yeah. And David got up on a horse and was riding and promptly fell off and uh, did a perfect roll and got up and, I think then he might have mentioned something about uh, working with swords, and I think I very wisely, politely declined. Uh, <laughs> but the show moved to Canada, which meant they had to hire uh, a Canadian actor to be his son. So unfortunately, I didn't get that role, and I was, I was, I was really disappointed. I mean, that would have been uh, an amazing opportunity and experience to uh, to, to star with David Carradine in the remake of uh, Kung Fu. That's a great story. All right, so same kind of clause. You can't pick one of the Karate Kid movies, but favorite martial arts movie? Ooh, favorite martial arts movie. Hmm. Well, I I am a big fan of Way the Cobra. Or Way the Cobra, that's my book. Way the Cobra, <laughs> waythecobra.com. Um, of of nice. uh, uh, Enter, Enter the Dragon. Yes. Um, I, I would say John Wick. I mean, I consider Ooh. that in many ways to be a martial arts film. I mean, yep. Keanu's amazing in those films. And, you know, I think the, the, the last one or had, uh, um, oh God, who was his name? Mark Dacascos, who was mm, great. Yes. And, uh, yeah, blood sport, fun, you know, just fun. Yep. Um, I, I'm also a fan of Billy, the Billy Jack films. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, Billy Jack, uh, Tom Laughlin was, um, an amazing, uh, iconoclastic human being and, and, you know, while it wasn't the most dynamic and visually compelling martial arts that you've ever seen in a film, uh, the character for me was just so cool and really embodied the very best essence of, of martial arts. Uh, what else? Um, hmm. I mean, uh, going back the seven deadly venoms, uh, I, you know, I, I love, I love, you know, Saturday, Saturday afternoon Kung Fu theater was, uh, real popular with me when I was a kid. Nice. So those are some of them. Yeah. Some good ones in there. Final question. So if, is there a philosophy you've learned in all your years in martial arts that really stands out for you? The one that comes to mind the most is something that Sensei Demera said. And I, I, you know, I, I appropriated it for my book, Way the Cobra and it's get knocked down seven times, get up eight, you know, learning martial arts is a very difficult pursuit. It's very frustrating in the beginning. Um, it's frustrating <laughs> throughout in, in a lot of ways, but the ability to um, continue to come back and try harder and um, I think is metaphoric for life. You know, I mean, nobody gets out of life without getting knocked down and it's, it's, you know, those who are able to get back up and learn from it. And, and that is, uh, that's something that has always stayed with me. And I, I think probably, you know, the other overriding umbrella concept is respect, being respectful and compassionate of others, you know, that martial arts is primarily for defense and to be used with judiciousness and, um, you know, kind of with, with, you know, great power comes great responsibility, that sort of thing. Right. Um, so that's all stuff that I've, I've taken with me. Great answer. Well, and, and before we end it, just any, any last minute things I know, like I said, I'll, I'll put the, the website for the book out there. Anything else you want to plug that you have coming up? So when is this, uh, when is this interview going to be posted? So 
well, I can do it sooner if you want me to, but it, it nor- normally it's about three to four weeks, um, oh, okay. but I, I can definitely okay. do sooner if we have to. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah, just uh, uh, for those people who want to see me doing something very different than Mike Barnes, you can tune in and watch me on uh, The Bold and the Beautiful on CBS. Nice. I'm reprising, reprising my role as uh, uh, bad boy Deacon Sharp, and uh, Deacon has been known to uh, use martial arts uh, a few times nice. uh, on the show. And uh, I, I would love to get as many people from the Karate Kid Cobra Kai universe to uh, check me out doing something different. And uh, just, you know, please check out my book, uh, Way the Cobra at waythecobra.com. Nice. Well, I just want to thank you. This has been so much fun. It's been a blast talking about you and hearing about your, your past and everything you're involved with. It's, it's been an honor to have you on. Brian, thank you so much. I want to wish you much continued success and, um, you know, thank all of your listeners for their support. And, uh, uh, I hope we can, uh, we can do this again at some point. I would love that. Maybe after you get your black belt, we'll come on and talk about your black belt. <laughs> All test. right. All right, my friend, listen, take care of yourself. And, uh, and, uh, I look forward to uh, our paths crossing again. Thanks for listening to everyday martial artists. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.